Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Okay, so we're beginning the fall with our normal traditional episode. Well, actually, no, that's not true. It's a new tradition, a new traditional episode of what is the SCOTUS up to now? Um, yeah, this would be like the second annual, right? Yeah, because last we, year we did the whole summer. Yes. And then we got tired. And so this year we decided to sum up right? So it's like in Princess Bride when he said, let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, there was a, it was a big year, right? And there were lots of um, big decisions dropped. And then there were some that weren't, like, weren't dropped. None, you know. Yeah, the, the, this was a very strange Supreme Court term, okay? Because, Nia, you're, you are correct. Uh, the term that just concluded uh, which actually wrapped up um, uh, on uh, Thursday, uh, July 1st. Uh, um, so it was a little late. I mean, usually the, uh, the Supremes like to be done with their work by the end of June, <laughs> okay? So the fact that it bled into the first day of July, um, you know, the Supreme Court watchers were like, oh, what's going on here with the Supremes? Okay? Do you think that part of that was Zooming? was the slowdown of not physically being together in the, in the Supreme Court possibly, building? That could possibly be it. The other thing is um, they had, the, the Supreme Court had a very large April sitting. Um, so basically um, a Supreme Court term is divided by months, right? And the court stops hearing cases in April so they have enough time to actually, you know, decide the cases and then write the opinions. The April sitting had a large number of cases, okay, which, you know, is, you know, could lead to the fact that it actually bled into July. Okay. But in term, in terms of the number of cases, the, the Supreme Court didn't hear very many cases. How many did they, they hear? They heard sixty-six. <laughs> okay. Um, and this is the second two thirds fewest... of the devil's number. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> okay. And if you had another six, okay. We, we just call it done. We call it apocalypse and just move on. Yeah, yeah. We 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 are definitely on our uh, the highway to hell. Right? Although, yeah, if they took six hundred and sixty six cases in a year, whoa, hey. court watchers would fall over. Like yeah. there would yes. be no. Yeah. Okay. Browsers. Um, How would you even keep up with all that? Yeah, and John Roberts would be uh, petitioning the Congress uh, for to a bunch hire more judges, <laughs> much, many more judges and many more clerks. He'd right? say, "I'm going to need the Supreme Court to be about 60 people, and I'm going to need actually 61 because that's an odd number." And yeah, you know, and and, and, oh, and yeah, we need a slew of clerks. We're going to need a couple hundred new clerks, and and yeah. we also need three new buildings. Um, right. So and a really um, big cafeteria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Uh, so 66 cases, which actually Nia, is the second fewest um, since the Civil War. 
Uh, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, the, the term with the fewest was actually last year um, when the pandemic hit because um, the court actually delayed, you may recall, delayed 10 cases from the uh, 2019 term to this year's term, okay, the 2020 term. Okay. Okay. And again, the Supreme because Court everybody was having it tough at the beginning of the pandemic. Oh, sure, I mean, no doubt about figuring it. Figuring out your workload, figuring out how to do that from home. Yeah, and, right? and the, figuring and out the, how not to flush the toilet while you're on the call so that everybody hears it. Yeah, I mean, um, the Supreme Court uh, listeners uh, did go uh, virtual. Uh, they uh, used teleconferencing. Um, they did not do Zoom. They did teleconferencing. Okay. Which, yeah, it would have been nice if they'd done Zoom because we could have seen their cats. Uh, th th that is true. Um, and, and for our younger listeners, tele teleconferencing uh, is an old school virtual <laughs> medium. Okay. Yeah. yeah, where you shout into a telephone on your desk. Yes. Um, or if you're in a conference <laughs> room, okay, they had that big unit, okay, uh -huh. that, looked like, that looked like a saucer like a spacecraft in the middle of a conference table. Okay. And everybody would start off with, can you hear me? <laughs> uh, yep. Which I have to say half the time I, I'm, I start talking and then somebody says, you're on mute. Um, I, it's a year and a half in and I still haven't gotten out of that habit. So, so, so were they, I feel like they were close, but they probably weren't close votes, were they? I always uh, feel like they were close votes, but I think that's because the ones that are close votes make the news. Yes. It was um, a 5-4 decision. It was a 6-3 decision. And I'm assuming that you're, you're about to burst all my bubbles by saying, well, actually, Nia, the vast majority of them were. Well, you are correct. I'm going <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take a needle to your balloon. Okay. Pop. As okay. per normal. Yes, right. <laughs> Of the 66 cases decided this term, 43 were either decided nine to zero, eight to one, or seven to two. So not even close. Not even close. In fact, almost I, half, 29, bet, 29 out of the 66 were decided nine to zero. That's the most unanimous case decisions in seven years. See, and in a world that talks, in a media situation that talks about how partisan and divided and everything, nobody in regular media is saying, you know, about 50% of the time, it was nine to zero. Like they agreed completely on whatever it was or, and, and it, 43 out of 66 is two thirds, right? So that's two thirds of these things were not even close. And not even close. you don't hear that. You, what you hear in the media is, is the decisions that were close and angry or split in some way that made people grumpy. But for the most part, J-Rob is getting agreement. Yeah. Uh, we don't know how, we don't know but, if he's using guns or chocolate or, <laughs> sex or whatever to get his way Ooh, gross. um but yeah again for listeners uh, uh nia's favorite acronym for chief justice john roberts oh yeah sorry is j-rob okay? which i find very endearing okay but you know 
let's go ahead and explain our terms. And um, we should right, and we should yeah. call him Chief Justice John Roberts oh, no, no, first, no, 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 first I mean, and then we should say parentheses J Rob. Yes. Okay. So that people know who we're talking. You're right. Thank you. I mean, it's like uh, the former uh, uh, Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Um, uh, RBG. Yeah, the notorious RBG. Notorious yeah. RBG. Okay. Um, um, uh, 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 but, uh, uh, well, I mean, and again, re re recall, Nia, in our previous podcast discussions, the dominant approach for understanding judges and the work that they do in the political science discipline is the attitudinal model. And the attitudinal model assumes that you can track a judge's, if you will, votes over time, and that most judges can be placed on an ideological spectrum as either liberal or conservative. And that they will follow, if you will, the broad ideological preferences of the presidents who nominated him, nominated them to serve on a particular court. Well, on this particular court, six of them were appointed by Republican presidents. Three were appointed by Democratic presidents. So the assumption of political scientists and the media, you know, accepts that, if you will, explanation is that we should see a lot of six to three, five to four votes on the Supreme Court. But, okay. But two thirds, we didn't see that. We didn't see that. And part of the reason why, at least according to many constitutional law scholars, is that the Supreme Court, even on the most controversial cases this term, issued really narrow decisions, mm. really narrow decisions. So they're not wading into politics. They're not wading into politics. They're not issuing bright line rules that will cover an area of the law. In many of these cases, Nia, they answered the specific question that was posed and did no more. I actually okay. kind of like that. Oh, sure. I, I think if you can be really super specific, then then each part of a law can be questioned individually and the chunks that are disagreeable can be gotten rid of, whereas the chunks that are relatively agreeable can be kept. Speaking of agreeability, who was the most agreeable justice this year? <laughs> well, the justice who was in the majority the most was Justice Brett Kavanaugh. In 90%, 97% of the cases, he was in the majority. This is- So either uh, he's marvelous at picking winners- Or he- Or he, he is following the lead of his fellow justices while he gets his feet and figures out- Yeah, because he's only, he's only been on the court for, this was his second full term Okay, he's been on the court for roughly about two and a half years. Okay. Yeah, and, and Gorsuch is a one year longer. Yes. And Coney Barrett is one year shorter. Yeah, she, she was only she's on the, the court. She's the newest. Yeah, she's the newest. She was only on the court for roughly three quarters of the term. What do her numbers look like? Um, she also was in the majority quite a bit of the time. 
um, second most. Okay. The in three the justices. Yes, the three justices were that were in the majority the most. Kavanaugh at ninety-seven percent, followed then by Chief Justice Roberts and Justice Coney Barrett. 91% of the time. <laughs> okay. So don't make waves, right? Figure out well, it, figure it, things it, out before you start leaping out there with crazy opinions that are going to make you stand out and be yeah, and, and, draw and, and, attention and all that other kind of stuff. And listeners, if you go back to uh, last summer, uh, the summer of 2020, when me and I did an entire summer on the SCOTUS, um, in one of the podcast episodes, I made reference to a concept uh, that scholars uh, used, okay, for decades. It was called the freshman effect, okay? Yeah. And well into the 1970s and 1980s, most Supreme Court justices, their first year, two, three years on the court, okay, they acted like freshmen in high school. They never, they didn't want to be seen or heard, okay, while they got the lay of the land of their, if you will, new environment, right? Right. Now, some of the more recent justices like, you know, Scalia, Sotomayor, Kagan, I mean, they got on the court and they, you know, asked questions during oral arguments. They wrote, you know, these you know, these, you know, dissenting opinions that were like, hey, the majority got it wrong. Neil Gorsuch was, I was the gonna same say, way. Neil Gorsuch has <laughs> just sort of started saying, you know, Native it, Americans are people too, and we should recognize their rights, dang it. Like think, he's been a real driver in yeah, I mean, in Gorsuch, because he was a Western judge, right? He came out of the yes. West part of the United States and yeah, from Colorado. Heard, a lot of, yeah. heard a lot of those cases and was familiar with some of the injustices happening in the West. And so, Gorsuch got on the court in, 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 in uh, one of the first cases he participated in, he ended up writing a dissenting opinion that lectured the majority on separation of powers. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta, you gotta admire, you know, that he's just like, hey, y'all put me here for a reason. I've got work to do. Yeah. Um, so who was the least agreeable? Um, uh, the, 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 the justice who was in the majority, the least was justice, uh, Sotomayor. Um, she was in the majority only in 70% of the cases. Okay. But, but, but again, still 70%. It, 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 and that's what I was going to say comparatively. Okay. In previous Supreme court terms, you had some justices in the upper fifties, upper fifties. Okay. So again, this is a court that in most of the cases, you saw a lot of agreeability, a lot of agreement. Is in part, is that because of what they choose to hear? Yes. I mean, they can, they can drive that, right? By choosing to hear things where they all want to make a decision. And, well, I mean, let's or face they it, all want to to see the the lines clarified or drawn heavier or whatever. I mean, let's face it, Nia. If the court takes non-controversial, politically, if you will, hot button cases, if they avoid those cases, they typically get more agreement, right? I mean, if you're taking cases about how to interpret 
okay, a section of the federal government's tax code, okay, um, there's not a lot of political. There's not device. a lot of fighting. Yeah, there's not a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. I mean, and that's never going to make the media. It's not. Yeah. Okay. The media doesn't right? care. The Economist okay? pr probably wrote on it, and the Wall Street Journal probably wrote on it, and everybody else was like, "Eh, who cares? It's tax law, right?" Like. It's not flashy. It's not something that's going to make the crawler on the bottom of CNN, right? It's not that stuff. So numbers-wise, um, who gave us the majority of opinions and the least number of opinions? Okay. Uh, the justice who wrote the most majority opinions was Clarence Thomas. Um, that is a little unusual. But what is not unusual is, of all the justices, Clarence Thomas wrote the most. So I'm talking about majority concurring and dissenting opinions. It It's actually and, not surprising. He speaks the least and writes a lot, quite often, doesn't he? I mean, like... It, it, most Supreme Court terms, he is the justice who writes the most. Okay. Okay. Um, and again, as I tell my students in my courts and politics class, you got to be careful with the way the media portrays some of these justices, because the media historically is like, Clarence Thomas must not be very bright because he doesn't participate in oral arguments all that much. Um, I said, well, he writes the most. Right. He writes the most. And they think he's not the most, sometimes they say he's not engaged. Clearly he is. Well, and, He's and, and, extremely and, opinionated and writes about it on a regular rate. He is engaged. Whatever else you may say about him. Well, and also, if there was one justice who really appreciated teleconference oral arguments, it was Clarence Thomas. Right, he blossomed this year. Yeah, and, it, and, and a lot of us are afraid that when the court goes back to in-person oral arguments, he's gonna go back to not asking questions because he really liked the, order, the orderly process that uh, Chief Justice Roberts imposed on the teleconference oral arguments. Which they could impose in real life. Oh yeah, they could, yeah. <laughs> and would be helpful probably to more than just Justice Thomas. Okay, so who wrote the fewest? Uh, Justice uh, Coney Barrett. Um, she only wrote four ma uh, majority opinions. Um, in large part, that's because she did not begin to participate until after the election. So she got confirmed by the Senate before the election, but the Supreme Court had by and large already finished their October set of oral uh. arguments. So she missed an entire month of oral arguments. And October is usually one of the heaviest months uh, because the court returns the first Monday of October and they typically hear at least two, if not three weeks of oral arguments in October. Isn't that the name of a book? The first Monday in October. October. I'm going to say yeah. that's the name of a book right, about the Supreme yeah. Court. Anyway, um, okay, so, and my favorite question stat of all, <laughs> which lower court which lower court's butt did they kick the most? <laughs> and, and, and once again, okay, uh, that honor goes to <laughs> the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which covers 
California, Arizona, Washington, Oregon, Alaska, um, and Hawaii. It's the largest federal court um, in the United States. Um, and it honestly has something to do with the numbers. Yeah, like the they, bigger they, yeah. you are, the more likely you're going to, more of your cases are going to make it to the Supreme Court to be. Yeah, just the sheer volume of right, appeals. To be fought over. Okay, of Ninth Circuit Court rulings um, are presented to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court heard 16 appeals of Ninth Circuit Court rulings, and they overturned 15 of the 16. You have to admire that the Ninth Circuit keeps sending, keeps keeps making rules, making law, like keeps making judgments. Sorry, that's what I want. It keeps ruling even though they know they're going to get overturned if it gets to the Supreme Court. Also, we should keep in mind, and I'm not trying to be difficult about the Ninth Circuit, please, Ninth Circuit, I'm not making fun of you, but you are the most activist circuit in the nation. Like, yes. if yeah. some weird crap's going to go down, it's going to go down in the Ninth Circuit. And, and, it's and that's, just how... That's the nature of the docket. I mean, because you right. got to remember, I mean, California just itself is the largest state in the country. Right, most populous and the third largest, Alaska, third largest. Texas. Alaska, Texas, it's either third or fourth after sure. Montana. And, and, and yeah. right now you have a state government in California, okay, oh. okay, that is very progressive, right. okay? So they do things out in California that in most of the states in the country, okay? Yeah, New York says we're liberal and California says, hold my wine. Yeah. And, <laughs> and goes off to do a thing that you're like, oh, never mind. Okay, our bad, no, you, you're the most liberal. We were just kidding. Um, and that's, I mean, it's just in part because of, it's also in part because of the nature of California, which is, um, the sorry the west coast lots of individuals lots of individualism right so there's lots of this sort of yeah you got a lot of political subcultures flourishing right. on the west coast um and uh and you know in and i teach this in my public policy class um you know if you look at just the state of california nia okay the far northern part of the state of california wants to secede from california <laughs> And create the 51st state of Jefferson, right? Which would they, be a, by the way, a Republican stronghold. Like it would be a. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's it's a very uh, conservative. Which everybody's like, oh, there are no conservatives in in California. I'm like, oh, but there are. Yeah, and they're all it, in one spot. There's a chunk of them, and yeah, and then you got you know parts of the state like San Francisco um, and right. Sacramento. Okay. Uh, Ultra large, liberal. Yeah. Then you got large chunks of LA uh, uh, that are like old school Democrat pluralism. Okay. Then you got San Diego, which is moderate. Okay. But then if you go further east in California, where you get to the rural agrarian parts of the state, okay, it it's like you know, rural conservative, right? Right. Now you're back to conservative again. You're, yeah. yeah, you're, yeah, yeah okay. But northern is libertarian and eastern is more 
traditional Republican oh, conservative. Yeah, where right? that you see in many rural parts of the United States, right? Right. That's just one state. Right. right? <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, you know, you know, think about, for instance, you know, Oregon. You know, the 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 common perception of those of us in the east coast of the United States is the state of Oregon is just filled with, you know, liberal tree hugger. Tree hugging, that's yeah, right. right. You Crocs know, wearing hippies, it, you know. Yeah, right. Okay, but again, you get outside of Portland and the state of Oregon is very rural. Right. Okay? And there's a 10 mile ring around Portland and and there's a 10 mile ring around Salem and everything else. It, it, again, is very conservative, right? Yeah. Okay, then you got Alaska, right? In, 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 oh, okay. highly conservative. Highly conservative, okay. Um, Hawaii, on the other hand, is extremely democratic, right? right? <laughs> okay, then you got a state like Arizona that in the last couple presidential elections, okay, increasingly people are like, oh, is it a purple state now? Is it still Republican? Right. Okay. Um, so you got. Does the ninth cover Nevada? Yes. Which is I mean, made it, up of 90% desert. Yeah. 90% right? desert, 10% city. Yes. Okay. Um, and according to political scientists, has a very individualistic political culture where, okay, the, you know, the primary role of government okay, is to help individuals, not the collective. Right. Okay, not the collective, right? So, I mean, just so it's think very about not surprising that when that stuff comes to the Supremes, they have to, first of all, they have to untangle it all. And then they have to figure out how it applies to the rest of us. And it's not surprising to me that they would find in many cases that it does not apply to the rest of us. And that they're trying to call down the Ninth Circuit and say, quit being mavericky. And and some of it too is slow down. It's not that they're saying this will never be a thing. It's that they're saying it's not a thing right now. There's the Supremes, I think, have to balance that. They want to do the right thing, but they also don't want to be out ahead of American culture. Because when you do get out ahead of American culture, then you get fights that just never seem to get settled. Um, I, I'm pointing to Roe v. Wade for that that argument. That was way ahead of where a lot of the United States was ready to be. Yeah, because when the Supreme Court issued Roe v. Wade in 1973, um, 10 states had already rolled back their prohibitions on abortion. So that meant 40 out of 50 states had not had not. Okay. Right. Um, and even, you know, for instance, you know, an advocate for women's rights, like uh, former Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, had acknowledged in a number of public speeches that the Supreme Court issuing Roe v. Wade, okay, was maybe a self-inflicted injury because the court issued a decision and then basically the rest of the country fell into two camps, right? right? Either pro-choice or pro-life, okay? And that's the thing about a court ruling, right? I mean, Nia, you and I have talked about this uh, during recordings, but even, you know, um, uh, when we haven't been recording, 
that's the thing about court rulings. There are winners and losers, and there's very little incentive after the fact for those two parties to then want to achieve compromise, right? right? The right. winners have already won, so they can basically go ahead and say to the losers, yeah, right, okay? Right. And as far as the losers are concerned, okay? They can't let go. Yeah, they can't let go. The, the judicial system screwed them. Right. Okay. Um, Um, And if people think like people think that that the current controversies over um, President Trump and theoretically stolen elections, by the way, the election was not stolen, it was perfectly fine. But those conspiracy theories are it's that kind of thing. If they're imposed from the outside, then you never get complete agreement that 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 it was a legitimate and fair and free election especially if somebody keeps complaining and and so and to to your point about um complaints about an election being stolen i mean this past uh week um in the city of new york they held the democratic primary for the mayor's position Sorry, we're recording this in July. Yes. Okay. You're not hearing it till September, uh, late August, but. Okay, late August, early September. But so this happened to, a month ago, but bear with us. <laughs> okay, but to your point, Nia, okay, uh, the city of New York is going with a ranked choice voting system now, right? Right. So when uh, voters in the city of New York go to vote, okay, they pick their favorite, but then they can pick up to four additional candidates okay who they also like right and they do it as a series right so it'll drop the lowest it drops the lowest two or three of the lowest whatever until you get down to okay now it's between these two people and and, and which one do you prefer and the problem is the city of new york released the results but they screwed up and they included Uh, test uh, votes test votes okay so that feeds a narrative that i would argue goes as far back as the 2000 presidential election bush versus gore the system is rigged it's you know it, it it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter whether I vote or not because my vote's not going to count because the system is rigged against the will of the people. That's right. Okay, elites. Okay, have somehow right. gone ahead and rigged this. I mean, in 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 we're seeing this. So you know, the difficulty for the Supreme Court is, on one hand, they want to issue rulings so that people across the country know what is or is not constitutional you know, or what is or is not uh, the meaning of a law passed by Congress. On the other hand, if they get too far out in front of the public, the court hurts its legitimacy. And right Right. now, if there's one thing you can say about the Supreme Court led by John Roberts, Roberts wants the court, okay, to be viewed as legitimate, okay? It's his Um, main main goal his main goal is to stay out of the fray to stay above the fray 
Yes, the core in terms of the political machinations yeah, the, that go in that happen in Washington or are perceived to happen in Washington. He, he doesn't does not want to be want part of any of that. Be, yeah, he doesn't want the court to be viewed as the, yet another political institution, right? And, and by the way, right now, okay, the court is the federal government institution with the highest public approval ratings, okay? It's not even close well, to me. Yeah, but even... I mean, in fairness, Congress's rating is usually just above, you know, Ebola. And like, <laughs> I mean, they don't like okay. Congress never has a high rating, which I don't I can't say that I disagree with in some instances. But but if, if members of Congress were concerned about that, you'd think they'd fix it. They, they could change their behavior. Right. OK, if presidents were actually concerned about approval, their approval uh, ratings among the public, they could engage in behavior to change that. Right. And they know what that behavior typically should be, right? The court seems to be a good chunk of it, at least, okay? Um, I, I think right now, it's a, uh, so please bear with me, listeners. On the current Supreme Court, the perception was that it was going to be six to three conservatives versus liberals. Right. At least. That's what could, all the media told me. Well, I mean, and, 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 and that's what, you know, hey, Republicans that, you know, engaged in various tactics to make sure that, you know, Donald Trump got three nominees to the Supreme Court were basically the same. <laughs> Mitch McConnell. Okay, Mitch McConnell. Okay. I'm looking um, at you. Okay. But how's that working out for you, Mitch? Because you said something to me not too long ago about it not actually being that. No, I mean, it, it, in fact, I and other constitutional law scholars, at least just based on this most recent Supreme Court term, could you could plausibly argue, Nia, that the court can be broken up into three camps or groups. You got the solid liberals. And when I say solid, Nia, okay, you've heard me say this before, okay? Okay, the ideological block on the court that in the last 20 years that has voted the most consistent has been the liberals. And we saw it again this term, okay? okay? And that's? Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan. Okay. Those three were in agreement over 90% of the time. And prior to Coney Barrett, RBG was in that category. Yes. And okay. even with her, even with the number being four, okay? They were you know, they stuck together. There was very oh, much glue. Yes. Okay. Upper 80s, low 90s. Okay. Okay. Now. Are the other the, two kinds divided equally? Pretty much. Okay. You got the three hardcore conservatives, strict constructionists, originalists, textualists. You want to guess who they are? Thomas. Yes. Alito. Yes. Gorsuch. Gorsuch, really? Okay. Yes. Oh, well, that makes sense. He's didn't and, and he the give way, back, didn't he give back Oklahoma to uh, the Native to one Americans. of the tribal nations <laughs> yeah. because of his strict reading of 
for Gorsuch, it doesn't matter how the case comes out. The method in which the court settles a case is extremely important. Okay. In many ways, he is like the way uh, Scalia was, right? Okay. Right. I don't and, care what the answer is. I care what the method is. Yeah, the method is, if right? If the answer but, I arrive at happens to agree with Sotomayor, that's fine with me. Like, yes. it's not it's not about that. It's about how we arrive at making that decision. Yeah, I mean, and, and, um, and, and, and I taught this case this past summer, um, you know, Scalia was known as a huge free speech advocate. In the case of Texas versus Johnson from 1989, dealing with uh, Johnson burning an American flag outside the Republican National Convention in 1984. Yeah, because that's not inflammatory. Oh, wait, I didn't mean that as it, but you know. Yeah, 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 no pun intended. Thank you very much, <laughs> right? But Scalia voted with, okay, uh, a bunch of liberals on the court and held that that was protected speech. Okay, the state of Texas could not regulate the content of speech, could not say this speech is cool, this speech is not cool. Right, this speech okay. is defensive, and so we're going to stop it. Okay, as all, far as Scalia, speech is speech. Yes, as far as you know, Scalia is concerned. Once the court determined that flag burning was expressive, symbolic speech, then the First Amendment kicks in. Okay. And, Gorsuch, and Gorsuch is a lot like that. Okay? okay. So, and what that crowd basically believes in a in a textural reading of the Constitution. The text yes. says, blah 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 blah, and that's what the text means. The text means blah 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 blah. They don't interpret the text. No, they like don't read them, into it. They okay. don't go ahead and try to change the meaning. Their their thought is. Okay, this is what was meant when the law or the Constitution was written. Okay. The last third, okay. So um, that leaves us, J. Rob, and the Kavanaugh, new kids. <laughs> the, and, the, and the two new kids. That's right. Okay. Okay. And, and again, listeners, when we say kids, okay, we both mean it kindly, right? Yeah, we do mean both, kindly. Both Coney Barrett and, and Kavanaugh are in their fifties. <laughs> yeah. They're our age. Like we're, yeah. that's us just calling each other kids, but so, okay. Yeah. So, but uh, I mean, we do, and we do mean it fondly, by the way, we're not trying to be mean or nasty. Well, about well, that. well hey, but they, they, they're all, they are, and, you know, they are the um, new kids at the Supreme court. Right. Okay. But those three, okay. Um, they tend to um, uh, sign on to opinions Okay, that are very minimalistic. Okay, you answer. Don't mess with the law. You just answer except, a You answer a specific okay. question, and you move on. Okay, you're not trying to change whole entire chunks of the law. You're just trying to answer this question. That's right, and as best if, as possible. And if a precedent needs to be changed, you don't overturn the whole, you know, previous ruling. You modify it. Oh, that's interesting. Because yep. one of the arguments 
uh, that liberals had with the last couple of justices was that they were going to say they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade completely and they're going to turn back time and blah, blah, blah. And what you're saying is those those three people are unlikely to say we're going to throw out that entire ruling. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, I mean, they're more likely to adjust or hone the ruling. Yes. OK. 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 And. Those three are frustrating both liberals and conservatives. I'm sure. Okay, because, because the, the conservatives are like, why aren't you more conservative? And the liberals are like, why are you not more liberal? And they're saying, well, I mean, in, 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 in for the liberals, they understand that if John Roberts is going to change constitutional law, he's going to do it slowly, piecemeal, incrementally. Right. And after this last Supreme Court term, it looks like he's got two other justices who are willing to sign on to his project, right? His approach. Okay. So the, for the liberals, they're like, this is going to be death by a thousand cuts. Right. It's excruciating. Where, whereas the conservatives, okay, justices Thomas, Alito, and Gorsuch are like, no, 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 no. We answer the question, okay, correctly. We don't make small changes. We make, you know, if a precedent is wrong, we throw it out, right? If Congress wrote a, a, a you know, a poor, you know, a poorly drafted law that is ambiguous, we just go ahead and say, Congress, you wrote a poor law, okay, and this is our interpretation, right? Um, so. Neither liberals or conservatives are all that happy, okay, with the Roberts three, okay? In fact, you actually have some constitutional law scholars now. And again, this is tentative, listeners, because this is one term, right? right? This is the beginning. Could be that next year they bust out a move and try to do something completely crazed or whatever. Well, Jay Rob won't, but he might lose his three. But I mean, if you think to the about arch it, conservatives, uh, he's probably I mean, not going to lose them to the arch liberals. If, yeah, you're, you're correct there. But I mean, if you think about it, psychologically, Brett Kavanaugh, okay, a lot of people didn't want him on the court. And he's come on the court and he's not been nearly as bad as the liberals feared, right? Well, the liberal media basically portrayed this as the sky is falling. Yeah. Right. Okay. It's the end of the court. We're we're going to see a huge turn in the court. Like, so you get these, uh, I'm sorry for listeners. This is my view of how the courts work. So uh, Augie will, I'm sure, correct me if I'm wrong. But I think that some of the courts have just gone along. They've just gone along and done their business. And then some of the courts have been known for huge changes in, like you get the courts in the 60s, the court in the 60s, which is the Warren court, right? Yes. Where you get enormous social change. You get the civil rights uh, or, um, rulings. You get all those kinds of things that actually change society. I mean, they make an enormous change in the movement of the ship. And, but like a lot of courts don't do that. 
you get courts no. where you'll have a certain court under a certain person and it just rolls along making gent gentle changes to to uh, American culture and society without making big enormous changes and I think that people in the media at least it was portrayed as far as I recall as this being an enormous swerve like the Warren court but in a conservative direction right yes. that it was going to go yep. kablooey and everything that had been done up to now would be wiped out and there would be uh and we would be, see regressive things going backwards as far as civil rights and and social issues and those kinds of things and that just does not seem to have happened um and yeah, maybe and maybe it's because they haven't geared up maybe those two people are going to make a huge difference because they'll move but i don't know yeah you are right i mean nia we've had uh some periods um in the history of the court uh where the court's rulings have transformed american society you know the warren court of the 1950s and 60s is a good example the Supreme Court at the turn of the 20th century um, uh, that basically went ahead and uh, said that federal regulations of the economy were unconstitutional. Okay. Um, you know, those were big changes, right? Okay. Well, um, and what the courts of the 20s and or the court of the 20s and 30s that did the reverse of the civil rights stuff yeah i mean they, 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 they really delayed if you will government getting involved in all parts of people's lives um you know general societal trends etc okay um so you know most of the time the court and again political science research bears this, bears this out yeah most of the time the supreme court is more congruent with public opinion than our elected officials in the political branches. Right. Okay. And it's because most of the justices, I mean, not just John Roberts, who seems to be acutely aware of the court's institutional, if you will, reputation and legitimacy, but most of the justices, okay, are aware that the court's main power is the power of it being perceived as legitimate. Okay? Right. Right. If we don't accept the court's rulings, that's the step right before a coup. Yeah. Right. That's like what... that's the step where you have anarchy of, oh, there's nobody in charge. There's nobody whose decision is the final say in a thing once you've once you've decided that's that's the case i mean that's right before the fall of your government i would i would assume that that's a huge so once I your mean, courts become illegitimate so i mean it, it, to give you a really good example of this right uh this past term in the case of california versus texas okay texas and a number of other states um uh filed a lawsuit arguing that the Affordable Care Act was no longer constitutional because the United States Congress had passed a law getting rid of the penalty for those Americans who did not have health insurance. 
Okay, so this was another attempt to take down Obamacare. Right. And the court never even got to the constitutional question. Instead, the court said Texas, the other states, and a couple individuals did not have standing. They could not show how they were <laughs> injured. So therefore, we're not even looking at the constitutional question, right? Right. Now, You're gonna, that's a that's a deft way to manage to, to avoid not being involved in the political question because, of Obamacare. Yeah, because as public opinion polls have showed, even though many Americans don't like the Affordable Care Act, most Americans like parts of the Affordable Care Act. Oh, they've and, grown. They've grown to rely on the law, on the policy. Right, and so the, many Americans hate Obamacare and are okay with the Affordable Care Act. Yes, even though they are one and the same, they exactly. don't understand it. Right? Okay. Exactly, and that's pure politics. That's yes. pure politics. Okay. So the court's reading that absolutely right in the sense of, you know what, you're trying to force us into a political position and we're just not going to be, we're not going to be forced. Or, or take, for example, the uh, uh, Mahano case. Okay. Uh, um, I hate to interrupt you, but uh, I was wondering if we could if we could visit trends in our second um, oh, okay. wrap yeah, up sure. of, the, yeah. of the episode. I'm sorry to interrupt you, um, but I know you have several trends that you want to talk about that have come out through the yeah. court. Yeah. And I think we'll go over time if we do that. So if you don't mind terribly, oh, um, no, 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 and if course. listeners don't mind terribly, we'll make this a two-parter as we are known to do. Um, and we will come back and talk about trends because I also have questions about where you think it's going in the yeah. next couple of years as you as we see what's coming up um, in, before the court in the next docket. So okay. is that okay with you, Augie? Yeah, that sounds fine. Yep, sounds All great. Right. So listeners, we'll see you next episode for the trends for this court and wrap up the sort of wrap up our wrap up of the wow that's kind of meta of uh of the supreme court 2021 docket thanks thank you nia you've been listening to civil discourse brought to you by vcu libraries Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU libraries. Special thanks to the workshop for technical assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.